Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. I'm going to start with the intro. I'm going to start doing a little... We don't even have to like add it from the computer. Yeah, I can just do it with my mouth. I I think we should totally just change everything about it. Yeah, just makes it a little bit more exciting to start. But this is episode what? 60. That's a pretty cool number. I know. It feels like a big deal. I bet you knew the number before I even asked. Yeah, of course I did. You know, dates. I know all my kids' birthdays, which I is more than Danny. The can day say. that we first kissed, I remember the first time you called me a mean name. I don't. Okay, before we get started, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is just totally random. If someone said, "Oh, tell me about your relationship with Danny," like what would you describe that as? Because I heard oh. this question asked to somebody. Like you can't give a novel, just like a quick thing. Like uh, what would dysfunctional I dysfunctional and awesome? Oh no, I was just going to say roller coaster. Bipolar. <laughs> I was just going to say roller coaster because it is. And I, I, and that's, to me, it's not a bad thing because like our highs are, are higher than I think 90% of people ever go, but our lows are, are lower than anyone else that I know. And that's just kind of mirrors our personalities. Though. That's I was going to say, we're both very emotional people. And so it's like, that's so just last part night, of it. hold on, by the way, last night, like. We were snuggling, kissing on, I was kissing on her a little bit. And I called, I, this is the problem. Like oh, women did. are so this confusing. Is, no, this I was said, so oh my gosh, you're such a refined woman. He said that. Well, I'm like, and she's thinking like, we're going to have sex. He says, you're just such a refined woman. And I was like, you know what? Good night. She's like, what am I, good, librarian? Good and I was, this is why it's so hard Yeah, I was like, to you be know in a what? relationship. Because that, I think most men would be like, yeah, like. No, no, I am so sorry. No man has ever had a sexual thought about a woman and thought she's such a refined woman. It was it was like of a respectful way, a mature way of like no, describing it was dumb you. and it ruined it. I was trying to be more of like the forty six year old man that I am and not like a kid and be like, "Ooh, you're so hot." Okay, I like the thought behind it, but it, the delivery was. Horrible. This is the problem: is you feel a certain way about it, and I feel a certain way about it. It's the I, same it's situation true, but again, with everything. I don't know. I mean, maybe if I wrote a really beautiful book, I would want to be described as like a refined woman. Oh my but gosh! But any anything really outside or of that, it depends I'm on not, what day of the week it is. I don't want that description. Also, because I don't feel like I am refined. I it's feel fine. like I'm just a kid. It's fine. Mer- Marriage is hard. All relationships are hard. They are. But I do want to, before we get into it, because we have an awesome episode today, I do want to say I have to acknowledge two miracles this week. And they may not sound like miracles. It's only Wednesday, but listen to this. Monday, I got a flat tire. Now, it wasn't my, I actually wasn't driving. Danny uh, ran to the store. To get medicine for to, one of our sick kids. To get medicine for a puker. And, um... He came back into the garage and it was, you know, 9.15 at night and he hopped out of my car and heard this hissing sound and there, sure enough, there was a puncture in the sidewall of my tire and he could immediately like hear it and fix it because honestly, if I would have gone out in the morning, like I always do early in the morning to go to the gym, I would have found my 
one of my tires on the rim. You would have drove on it. No, I wouldn't. It would have been on the rim and it would have probably bent the rim. And then we would have had this major problem. So I was like, oh my gosh, like of all places, I'm glad I wasn't driving the car. It wasn't my fault. And also it was in our garage. So we discovered the flat tire yeah, inside of, of our garage, of not on the side of the road, not in a parking lot, you know, randomly. But then it gets better. So by the way, he changed the tire immediately, had it fixed and a new tire on before I even got up the next day <laughs> um but second thing yesterday we're walking putting the chickens back in walking across our drive our driveway to the barn and we see this shiny thing on the driveway and i'm like what is that he picks it up and he's like oh it's like a lug nut and i'm like where the heck did that come from sure enough we go into the barn where his truck is parked and a lug nut actually came off one of his wheels yeah and it fell I'm off like, on the driveway instead of out on the but road. i'm like we just found this we would have never even known it came off if we wouldn't have just been walking right here and it was on our driveway so two days in a row we had things that honestly could have ended totally disaster but i'm like it was right here it was your car was parked we found it like 10 feet away from your car and danny's truck is in the shop this morning uh, getting all fixed. right yep we are gonna get started so I'm just saying, you got to notice the miracles because sometimes it just feels like things are piling up and you're like, why does this keep happening? Why am I going to the tire shop two days in a row? This is so stupid. But in another way, I'm like, dude, we avoided a lot of catastrophe in the last two days. So this that's is why my, I love you. And see, hold up, miracle. hold up, hold up. My turn. He doesn't like when I talk very much of it. Oh, I love it. But this is, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Like it all came to a head. You are beautiful I'm because so you can recognize, you can reckon, you just stole my thunder. You are so beautiful and you can recognize the blessings, miracles of little things like tires where I'm just like murmuring. Hey. Because you are a refined woman. Okay. So he was right, guys. But just don't ever oh say it when gosh, you're trying to dude, take somebody's clothes off. You stole my thunder. Just don't. Refined means you're amazing. Gosh. Okay. We're moving on. This is episode 60. Anyone out there listening who loves someone which unfortunately nowadays is almost every home that loves someone who's struggling with their addictions regardless of what those addictions are this topic is very very important yep we are going to address quickly how the world has neglected the number one weapon against addiction yes it's forgotten they're missing they're missing the mark They've completely abandoned the number one weapon against addiction. And what is that? You. You listening. The family. The mother. The spouse. The father. The grandparents. The siblings. The family. We're going to break down why that is. Why is that the case? Why has the family been neglected in this war against addictions? And also talk about what your role is. Like, what is your role? How do you actually influence the outcome? Yeah, which is what everybody wants to know, right? Yeah. Like, I everybody mean, and that, wants it to could know be, how to It could help. be a whole day topic there. But we will just talk about your role, what it is briefly, the importance of it. I want to talk about why this is. So the first thing is, why is this the case? Why is the family no longer part of this process? Why have they been forgotten? Yeah, I, that is a really good question. 16 years ago, I don't know, it's been over 16 years ago now, um, when I went to treatment, there was no such thing as insurance benefits for 
addictions or mental health. Which is so insane. But yes, you're right. That is the case up until just maybe even a couple years ago. There was no insurance benefits if you were an alcoholic or something to go. There were some companies that started supporting, like the treatment center I went to, they had a uh, an affiliation with American Airlines. Mm-hmm. And so if you worked for American Airlines, like which is tens of thousands of people all over yeah. the country, you could go to this treatment center and the company would pay all of it, but $1,000 the family would have okay. to pay, right? Yeah. Something like that. So like a corporate partnership. But there wasn't, you couldn't go get affordable, awesome insurance policies and then go to treatment to address your addictions. That just wasn't the case. That was for better and for worse. So for most people, and I won't even go into the amount because it's a lot. Like the treatment center I was at to be there for like three months was $100,000. Yeah. Who in the world can afford that? Very few. Very, very few. So cash only made it hard or impossible for a lot of people to seek help. Absolutely. So they were taking alternative methods. They were just maybe going to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and fellowshipping with other people because it was a free program. But those who were able to go, this is where what's interesting, is those who were able to go because they could pay, what happens? If you invest $100,000 into something, or let's say it's even a different program and you're investing $30,000 into something. Oh, well, you've got skin in the game. So like you're all in, like your effort is going to be like, so completely different. I was at a program for 90 days and every 30 days, the program kind of repeated itself, right? (laughs) They set up, but I was just there for longer, which was necessary, but every 30 days, there was an entire week allocated to the family. The family's there on site. They're sitting in process groups. They're sitting in individual therapy. They're doing experiential therapy. All of these different things. The family was so heavily involved. Yeah. But they went there. Why? They loved their loved one, but they were also so invested that they were going to do what it took, which even meant the inconvenience of taking time off of school and work and being there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a huge component of it. They had to make sacrifices too. Correct. Yeah. That is one of the biggest reasons the insurance has changed things. Now you can find fairly affordable policies. Actually, Mm -hmm. there's some, just as of last year, there's some actual incredible policies. Every state differs, but where you can go and get a very, very affordable insurance policy. If you have a 27 year old son, that's an alcoholic, or you have a spouse that's lost their mind with whatever they're doing. You can go and get these policies in place that immediately will cover about a hundred percent of someone's treatment. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's completely different. And I don't want to get into too much of it, but this is where it's also changed for the worst because now that insurance will pay for it, they also dictate the amount of care that you get. Yeah. So all these treatment centers, like in this state where we live, my goodness, there's somewhere between 60 or 65 different rehabilitation facilities. They're the insurance that they work with. Each place works with a different insurance company and they, they're they in network with different insurance companies. The insurance companies will cover anywhere from like 30 and, I, and recently, just in the last few months, it changed to 45 days of coverage, but that's it. Yeah. That's it. No more coverage. So it changed things. Now there's a huge demand, right? Like all these treatment centers that used to be cash only not too many years ago are now, they're just fueled by insurance companies, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. What a blessing. But there's a, such a high demand that often there's a wait to get in. 
these places are overwhelmed with people just completely. I mean, they're bursting at the seams every single week. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Every one of us know right now, wherever you go, if you go to McDonald's, Wendy's, Subway, go to a nice restaurant. There's one one of my favorite restaurants right here by where we live. It's just closed randomly. And there's a handwritten note on the door that says what? I don't know. I haven't been there. Oh, it's, <laughs> it says closed due to lack of employees. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, so everybody's shorthanded. The point is, is that all these businesses are shorthanded. Treatment centers are no different. They're shorthanded, but there's this huge demand for it. Yeah. That's changed it. And so what happens is when your loved one goes to treatment, I don't want to go off on this too far. That facility is doing their very best to help that person with the limited time that they have them. Yeah. They're bursting at the seams. They're trying to stay fully staffed. And so what happens? They don't have the resources, the time, or the ability to involve the family. Yeah, absolutely. There's two components. That's number one. They just don't have the time. Yeah. The second component is, this is what's so tragic. Is And I've had a chance recently to interview a few clinical, phys- like directors of facilities and ask, why? Now, not all, but <laughs> 90 plus percent of them intentionally avoid the family. Why? I just addressed one. They don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. They don't have the time with the person to involve the family. But the tragic part is all of these clinical directors have explained how more than half, I don't know exactly what percentage. So we're talking about the actual majority slightly of people who come to these facilities have families who are extremely dysfunctional. Parents are split up. Dad's an alcoholic himself. It's abusive at home. That's where the source of the trauma came. It is, I'm, I'm serious. When you hear these people describe it, that more than half the people come into the facilities, their goal is to do what? Detach this person from their family. Hmm. They know that they're going to have a better chance removing them than like pulling them away from their family, not forever, but just while, you know, while they begin the recovery because the family is so toxic. All of our families are messed up. We just admitted how messed up we are. <laughs> yes. We but do. there is, without a doubt, a lot of families who are the source of the problem, who are contributing so greatly to the problem. Yeah. Families who have drinking problems and they send their son who just has the spotlight on him to get help. But when they come home, they're just like, well, we're, we're, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. Yeah. That's, so there, that's there's two so main true. reasons the family's been neglected when you look from a from a facility standpoint, one, because of insurance, there's such a high demand, they are overwhelmed, overrun, and they're trying to do the best they can. So they just don't have the resources to involve the family. They can just give that person some care. Second of all, is there the family dynamic has changed? Yeah, it sounds like it, it's been a strategic thing for facilities to, to back out of that scenario because they they're finding that it's it's more harmful than helpful yeah let me paint the picture there's so many incredible treatment centers the people who work there my gosh they're god soldiers warriors right Mm -hmm. let's let's say the typical facility has 28 to 30 people in there there's like three to four therapists they each have eight to ten people that they're working with trying to dissect the problem and everything that hurts the trauma and tragedy they've experienced Imagine what it would take for them to take those eight to 10 people and then bring in the mom and dad or the spouse or the kids. Monumental. Monumental. Yep. 
And because insurance pays, which is great because almost anyone, you can spend $30 a month and get an insurance policy and go have coverage at a facility that's $28,000 a month, have it paid in full. Mm-hmm. But they're only going to do it for 30 days. 30 days, yep. And they're not going to support your your extended, you know, your your extended support. Why? Because group. they don't have the resources or two, your family is so toxic that they're contributing to it. Yeah. Now, without a doubt, there are those families, but I have found in my own experience, there's a whole other world. If we're talking about tens of millions of people in the country affected by addictions that are known of, that's imagine how many families are affected. Yeah. There's still a huge number of incredible families. And that's you listening. That's everyone that I meet with on a daily basis. Yes. Amazing families. And what do I mean by amazing? Of course, we all have our challenges and our struggles. We all have our own problems, but they have resources. They have a level of education. Yeah. They've had success in life. They've, they've accomplished incredible things. Well, and they have the concern, right? Like they're, they are invested in repairing this person that they love and doing their part in what that means. Correct. Just, to, just the elephant in the room. Okay, well, what about those families? What actually holds them back? That's the part that's tragic. These treatment centers are full of people who come from dysfunctional families. Why? Because they're desperate and they need someone's help. These families we just described that are awesome and amazing, they don't typically seek help. Why? Oh, because they are awesome and amazing and they can figure it out themselves. We're all guilty of it. We are too with our kids to some degree. Yeah. We don't reach out and get help because there's a stigma. We don't need to do that. It's also because we think we can handle it in-house. Right. Because in so many area, other areas of your life, church, school, community, business, you have dominated. Yeah. So why can't you, as resourceful as you are, figure out how to help your loved one? They, so they stay stuck right there forever. Yep. I, I can for sure 100% relate to that. Most of them also have some sort of belief in God. They have like... A moral standard and what it does is actually cripples them yes because those of us who believe we know miracles exist miracles happen mm -hmm. you just talked about two of them with the nails you yep. refined woman <laughs> but people sit and wait for a miracle to happen without any action right so those are the two reasons that hold them back right that's not solving any of our problems it's just addressing why yep there is a breakdown in recovering from addictions because the family has been removed. I want to make it clear based upon what we just said. That's not everyone. No, but with addiction, there is not a one shoe fits all. There is not even close to that. Yeah. There's a whole entire problem with like the homeless. There's a, the corrections department is a whole problem. There, there is a myriad of problems. The breakdown of the family we just discussed, but there are an incredible amount of good God fearing invested amazing families that still can't figure out how to help their loved one. Yep. And I don't care if you're using insurance, which you should, or you're paying cash, you're sending somewhere, you're sending your loved one somewhere and expecting what? A miracle. A miracle. A miracle. That's, that's what I think is like just hearing you talk about this. And we've talked about it so many times is what, what it sounds like to me, like if I'm understanding it right, <laughs> to me, it's like rehab facilities have shifted into becoming like ERs. Yep. They're just, 
It's just an emergency room. And guess what? Emergency rooms are essential. Like, my heavens. Have you ever been to a third world country where they aren't there? People just die of crazy things. But here's the thing. Emergency rooms are set up to stabilize people. And that is it. That is their only job. Stop the bleeding. Yes. Bandage the wound. I'm here to address the immediate trauma, the the things that are life-threatening right now, and I will get you stable. And then there is a an intensive process, you know, depending on what, what you're there for on getting you completely healed. But what's interesting is our, we haven't caught up to that at culturally yet, even, even the most educated and informed and, and well intended people still aren't grasping that concept. So they're still going, Oh no, we're doing it. Like we got them into a facility, but they aren't grasping the idea that, there's so much more that needs to be done even on their part and they need to understand the entire process and it is just beginning the, the the ER visit so to speak the facility is step 1 to probably 20 more steps it is not the solution it's the first step yeah and it's it's almost like we talked about this a few episodes ago where it's it's the difference between getting somebody sober and then somebody recovering. Those are very different. Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting. I've I've started really learning is anybody can get sober. And that's why in the rooms of recovery, you see people that they say, everybody has a bag full of 30-day chips. Everyone has a pocket full of 90-day chips. Some even have a handful of six-month chips. But most people that get to a year, that's the only one they ever get because they keep going. Yeah. And what's interesting, you just described the ER. So let's imagine you got in a car accident, severely injured. You went to the ER. You're there for a few days. When you get released, what do they do? They give you some resources. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's where you need to go do physical therapy. Here's a doctor where you need to continue your care. Yep. So what, what does the family do? They do it. And the person that's hurt, they do it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> when it's these emotional and spiritual wounds that manifest in addictions, the person leaves the ER, which is rehab. 30 or 45 days in, and guess what happens? They're, they jump ship. They're like, I'm they good. jump ship. You can't see the break. You can't see the wound. You can't see the bleeding. So they're like, okay, you're good. Here's the tricky part. As a family member, you send someone somewhere, and I actually heard a dad say this phrase this week. Yeah, well, I sent him there. It costs a lot of money, and I expect them to do their job. Yeah. What, was it? what do you mean their job? To fix my son. Like, whatever the problem is, fix it. Yeah. I know his intentions were good, but he's looking at it like a business negotiation. Yes. Fix the problem. Oh, my gosh. Like a transaction. Like I'm all I over paid. the place, but this is what I'm so passionate about because I've been through it. Imagine going to a treatment center as addicted to some, whatever it is. I don't care how bad your withdrawals are because it's usually the case with all of them. Even if it's porn addiction or certain prescriptions, your body's going to go into shock. Now, when it's more the illicit stuff, you're going to spend the first two week, two weeks having trying to have a regular bowel movement. Yeah, just you're going to crawl out of your things. skin. Every treatment center takes usually two weeks for a person to be able to sit still. They 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 fidget, their their knees ache, their tension span is so limited. They're not sleeping well. They're not eating well. By the time they start to feel like a human being, they got like two weeks left. Yeah. How is anyone supposed to do their job in that time frame? Right now, most of these treatment centers, just like the ER, when you leave, what do they do? They give you resources. 
Yes. Here's what you're supposed to do. And I'm coming to the major point right here. The reason why the world's neglected the number one threat to addiction is somebody has to keep them accountable. This is not like leaving the ER with a broken femur and your child or your spouse is going to keep doing their physical therapy because they, they want to walk again. Yeah. When they leave this treatment center, here's the tricky part. No one, no one, I don't care if they're there 30 days or 45 days, no one, not a single soul, man, woman, young, old, wants to keep doing it. Right. Why? Everyone's like, why the hell is that the case? Well, first of all, it's not fun. Second of all, with these emotional and spiritual wounds, they leave and they actually feel better. Yeah. I remember the first time I left treatment, I felt better. And you I, looked better. I didn't, yes. I didn't stink anymore. I wasn't crazy anymore. The light was on in my eyes. I was healthy. My skin looked better. Yeah. And my family saw me and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to have you back. Yep. I didn't even have to convince them because I myself felt like I was better. Yeah. So I just go right back to life. Well, I think that's no such physical therapy, a no huge continued care. Key. That, that is, and you know what I think is interesting too, and I'm just putting myself in all these parents' shoes or spouses' shoes, is they're, they're going, well, how do you make them keep doing the program? Well, that, and that's the kicker. So thank you for the segue. You're so refined. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack you. Do it on camera. No, I'm literally going to later. <sighs> it's going to suck. Get it recorded. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get them to do it? Here's the deal. I don't care. <laughs> Please. Like if this is your dad we're talking about or your brother who is super successful, the right. attorney. Like, what that, if it is your dad? How are you going to tell dad, dad to do it? No one wants to keep doing it. No one wants to sit in rooms and keep talking about their feeling and surrounding themselves with people that are hurting and suffering and talking about all these negative things. Everyone just wants to move on. Yes, of course. So there's only two ways. There are two ways. The idea that your loved one's going to want to keep doing this for themselves, you can forget it. No one has ever continued after they left the ER again, after they left rehab has wanted to keep doing their yeah. quote, physical therapy, their continued care. Yeah. So there's two ways. The very most common way, unfortunately, is a judge. Yeah. You commit certain laws, you commit certain crimes, you get charged with certain things. And here's what the judge does. They throw you a bone and there's your get out of jail free card. You can go to a program. You can complete the duration of that program. And that varies. It's usually like a six to 12 month probationary period. Complete the program and yeah, your charges are gone. Yeah. So you do have like a, a carrot dangled in front of you. You do it or you go sit in a jail cell. I, I was presented the same thing once and I was just like, didn't do what they said I was supposed to do. And boop, there's a warrant for your arrest and they'll put you right back in. Yeah. So there's motivation. Someone's holding you to it. It's like, okay. I'm going to keep going. I hate class. I hate taking peeing in a cup every day. I'd rather be doing anything else, but I'm not going to jail. So I'm going to go to class. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big motivator. What's reason number two? What is the, the what's the only other way besides a judge? The people that have been left out and cut out of the equation, the family. What the world has neglected. It's a family, but they're sitting there going, well, my son's 27. What am I supposed to do? A spouse is like, well, my husband, he controls the finances. Like, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. How am I, how am I going to make him do it? You have got to seek help and create this ultimate gift. And part of that gift is for your commitment, your continued support, your love, your ability to learn to retrust. All of that is contingent upon them doing certain things. There's so many other aspects to this gift 
but that is the only way you can. They need you. They want you. I don't care if they control the finances. I don't care if they're 27 and they don't live in your house anymore. Nobody gets to this point where their life's unmanageable and they need help and they're thriving. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. Their life's falling apart. They need you. I don't even care if they do have money left. Most of them don't. Most people are in such, it's such carnage all around them that they have to have someone's help. Yep. Even if they still have some resources, like they're, Ooh, they have a really good job or, Ooh, they make money. They are emotionally broken. They need love. They need someone to care about them and they need someone to hold them accountable. Yes. It is tricky. It's easier. It's easier said than actually done, but you've got to seek professional help with myself or someone else and figure out how you create this and how you communicate this new healthy boundary. Yeah. Because if you don't, you don't have any leverage to hold them. Right. Well, and they're going to do the path of least resistance, which is just not hold themselves accountable. That's for sure. And if you're not, then no one is. And then it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Bad habits keep continuing to form. So here's the best part, guys. We have been working so hard. We've talked about it a couple of times, but we have a completely brand spanking new program that is in... It's a very comprehensive program that walks you through this whole process. That's what we do. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I need more details. Go to our website, yourlivingproof.com and register for our masterclass. It is free. You will learn so much and you will actually understand more about what we actually teach in the Living Proof process, our, our program. So go to that website, send it to somebody that needs to hear it. And then before we go, I, I do want to say one more thing. And that is, I promised moving forward, we are going to read the serenity prayer for families every time before we leave this podcast. So I'm going to read it. Are you you read it, but let me wrap up with one thought. Okay. The person you once loved and remembered and who was dynamic and amazing and refined. lit up. Yeah. Refined. Just like you. Yeah. They, that person that lit up the room when they walked into it, they're still in there, but it's going to be a fight. You're going to have to fight like hell to get them back. Yep. You can't walk out of the ER with a gaping wound bandaged and then just decide to rip the bandage off and get your shiz together, right? Right. Stop treating emotional and spiritual wounds different than we do physical wounds. As a matter of fact, it's going to take more effort. Way more. More time more resources. So every person that goes and seeks help and then three or four weeks later comes out and says, I'm good. Let me tell you what happens. They burn out. Yeah. They, of course they do have financial stress. They go home. And the hard part is, is a lot of them are learning how to love life again, how to feel any sort of euphoria or good feelings naturally. Yes. There's so many challenges. They realize they've destroyed relationships. It's like, it's worse. We all had the dream when you went to school naked. I don't know. Did you, it's um, like I've a common that. nightmare. I've actually ha- had that thought when I go to the gym sometimes and I take off my jacket. I'm like, did I put on a shirt? Oh, wow. <laughs> that would be amazing. I wish no, I would no, be but there. No, but it's never happened. I'm just saying it's always a fear. So that feeling of being naked and vulnerable, just a terrible, ah, is how they feel all the time when they come out. And so they have no coping skills. So there are two things that will hold them to what is most, most essential. You've heard me say this before. What's the number one component? I'm going to put you on the quiz right now. Time. Time. The number one component for anyone to heal from any addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, whatever. Time. Time Time to heal. People will argue and push back and say, oh, it's God. Well, of course. 
He's a major component. He yes. is the component, but, but guess what? He works step by step in a process. And I know, that takes but time. let me remind you from an addict's perspective, no one comes out and grasp onto him right out the bat. Right. Over time, they might have the ability to believe in something that can help restore them to sanity, but it's never going to be what it never going to be from the beginning. Right. So yes, God's the number one, most important, but until that happens and for that to happen. Yes. They've got to have the time. They have to have time to heal. So someone has to hold them accountable to get that time under their belt. So yes, they can have hope. They can see a path forward. They can cling on to God. If you jump ship and think that they're cured after you leave the ER, you're going to keep her defining insanity. Yes. Okay. Close it out, so Blondie, you refined, prayer. beautiful woman. This is the serenity prayer for family. So wait, do yours first. Okay, the, the serenity prayer in recovery is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, and the serenity prayer for families is God grant me the serenity to accept that I cannot change other people, the courage to change the person that I can and the wisdom to know that it's me. That's it. Thank you guys for joining. We'll see you next week on our episode 61.